down point setting, chapter 7. A touch of class. During the course of the next couple of weeks, Barrick and I managed to, you know, like I say, work on another movie. We both went to work on Ghoulies Go to College. We'd just go in together in Barrick's cargo van. Unfortunately, on the set of Ghoulies Go to College, our reputations, well, they were already ahead of us, so folks in charge separated us during filming. We got fucking separated. Yeah, they treated us like second-class ghoulies. <laughs> Beyond that, we hardly ever ever left the house. We didn't have any fucking money. Yeah. I, we blow through money. I think we even got some Coke at one point. I didn't do it. I didn't want any more, but Barrick wanted some, and so I contacted an old friend of mine and got some. We ate, we drank, we spent every morning watering all the plants out back, yeah, usually naked. <laughs> that was the thing. Barrick watered in the nude, so me being the Oklahoma kid, why am I staying out there in my fruit of the looms? I'll be naked too. So, yeah, both our chicken white asses would be out there. <laughs> it was just fucking absurd. We ate, we drank. Played wine drunk piano. Once in a while, we drive back, drive into West Hollywood, where he and Beatrice, you know, could spend the night together while I slept on the living room sofa, alone. Beatrice had a, uh, a couple of roommates. There was James from Texas. He was young gay guitar player who was, I guess, going to musical institute. I wasn't gay, so that wasn't gonna work. Her other roommate was uh, Jenny. I don't remember where Jenny was from. She was a petite brunette, um, average on the looks, you know, not unattractive by any stretch, just eh, not my type, I guess. They tolerated Barrick and I. They didn't like Barrick and I, but they put up with Barrick and I. Just the age difference. They were in their 20s, and we were fucking teenagers. Unfortunately, the fun days running back and forth to West Hollywood and partying in Hacienda Heights wouldn't last forever. We ran out of fucking money. Yeah, that was it. We were just broke. We got our ghoulies go to college checks, which were meager at best, like 60, 70 bucks. It wasn't much. That was a piece. Yeah, we were in a we were in a hell of a nice house with empty cupboards and an empty refrigerator. There wasn't a fucking thing to eat in the house. All the booze had been drunk, even the shit we didn't like. Yeah, we emptied his folks' liquor cabinet. We were smoking small cigarette butts and shit from ashtrays. Barrick didn't even have any more weed left, which was unusual. Yeah, that's why he was irritable. I was, too. Furthermore, his parents would be returning from vacation just, you know, a few more days. I had absolutely zero plans for what the fuck I was going to do when they come home. Barrick told me they'd let me kick in a night or two, but they're going to ask me to go after a few nights. Hey, I wasn't going to fucking impose. I needed a plan, and I didn't have one. All I had was my Ford Granada, no money, nothing. Two of us sat in the living room going over any possible options of getting our hands on some funds. Just so, you know, so the party could continue. And I was hoping it would buy me some time to come up with, you know, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. Yeah, I was just thinking about the next round of booze at that point. For a bit, the situation looked pretty fucking dire. I mean, we just didn't have any options. But suddenly, 
something dawned on me, completely occurred to me, something that hadn't even crossed my fucking mind. Before leaving Don Dominguez Apartments, Mark had helped me file my federal income tax. OMG. I forgot all about that check. I had left Don Dominguez Apartments in such haste to avoid Anya. I hadn't been back to Don Dominguez in a couple of months. There's no way my fucking mail was still there. And if it was, they were probably holding it in the office. Shit. Hey, Barrick, I said, sitting straight up on the sofa. I think I might have a decent amount of money somewhere. Where? Barrick replied. My old fucking mailbox down in Carson. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I'll bet that fucking check is in there. Barrick closed the lid on the keys to his folks' piano and stood up from the bench, ran his fingers through his face and his hair. What the fuck check are you talking about, man? I stood up a little more confident, shaking my head. My income tax check, man. Upon saying that, we were both in the living room, rummaging through both our pockets, everything we could fucking find anywhere Barrick thought there might be change, because we needed cash money to Carson. To my surprise, I had a dollar bill in my watch pocket for whatever fucking reason, and a little bit of change. I got like a buck thirty-four. Barrett got up and walked over to where I was counting money on the ottoman. He pilfered through his own pockets and dropped what he had in the ottoman in front of me. I think I got like 40 cents, he remarked. Immediately, the two of us began walking around the various tables and countertops in his folks' house, looking for, you know, like I say, the loose change. Stuff tossed aside. We weren't stealing or pilfering. We were just, you know, cleaning up. <laughs> yeah, Every sugar bowl was searched, canisters, everything. Well, by the time all was said and done, we had a little over $6 in cash. That's right, coin, mainly. We also had lids off the ton of shit and a bunch of open stuff and upended shit. We had to upright again and everything, but we were clean looters, folks. We weren't going to take the Granada. No fucking way. It was out of gas anyway, but the brakes were starting to grind on the rotors. Yeah, at least on the right side. It was like, every time I hit the fucking brake. No, we're not taking that. That means we had to take the beast. Yeah, Barrick's big whale, that white fucking whale that sucked tremendous amounts of fuel. And all we managed to come up with was about six bucks. This might be enough to get us down there, Barrick said, running his fingers through his hair, but there's no way in hell we'll make it back. Yeah. I argued, but I'm pretty sure that check is there, man. He responded with a shake of his head. If it isn't, we're fucked. We're spending the night in Carson. Before leaving, Bear could throw a couple of sleeping bags in the back of his van. <laughs> yeah, if that check wasn't there, that's it. He assured me we'd be sleeping, at least in the area. Well... We then stopped at the nearest mobile station, put in what little gas we could, then set out for Carson, California. You know, when I'd left the keys to the apartment with the landlady, I'd forgotten to return that little brass mailbox key, and it was still on my fucking keychain, yeah. Making the drive all the way down there in that van, 
on the possibility of a check getting there is a pretty big gamble, but up to that point, what else was new? Why stop now? During the ride down, what I was worried about was that the mail had been collected by the apartment complex. I, I didn't understand the law then, and I didn't understand that there was no way Anya could hold it and keep it from me for whatever fucking reason, but still, it might be sitting in the office tray, and she may not let me have it. I left the apartment in decent shape. Make no fucking mistake about it. Aside from what the police had broke, I broke nothing. For that matter, would the main office even be open? Hell, if it wasn't, yeah, for sure, we'd be spending God only knows how long in the safety of the big white cargo van parked in front of the Carson office. Yeah. After the long, steady drive, Barrick and I finally rolled into Carson. We both breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> I had Barrick pull onto the southern entrance of the complex, right in front of the office. It was the same entrance I'd used the day I saw Angela being carted off to jail. I'd only been away a couple of months, but it already just looked foreign to me. Nothing had really changed cosmetically. It just, I didn't know there. The mail slots are by the front office. I casually slid out of the side. I just didn't want on you to see me. I walked over to the vertical wall-mounted mailboxes. Shit. I could see Anya in the office speaking to somebody on the phone. Thank God. As long as she was talking on the phone, she wasn't looking at me. I slid my key to the mailbox. The small door opened. Wow. Needless to say, it was stuffed with a ton of shit. I fumbled through the advertisement flyers and old bills. Towards the rear of the box at the bottom was that beautiful brown federal government envelope used to send back tax returns. Oh, a great feeling of relief came over my ass. I grabbed that check along with some of the other mail. Not all the other mail, but some of the other mail. I think some sale papers and shit just fell to the ground. Yeah, I hauled ass back out to the parking lot. I stepped out of the confines of the front entrance and Barrick saw me. I held the check up in the air. Eric elated in celebration, <laughs> pranced around the front of the van, opened the door, and jumped in. Where to, Kimasabi? He asked as I took a look at the check. There's a check cashing place right down the street, I said, pointing south on Main. Take me there. Oh, shit. I looked at the amount of the check. Damn. It was a little more than 1300 fucking dollars. Wow. Let me tell you, in 1989, that was a lot of fucking money. Eric drove me to the check cash in place, and well, they took 200 bucks as part of their fucking fee, but I didn't care. I couldn't remember the last time I'd held $1,100 in my hand. After filling up the van, topping that fucker off with gas and buying cigarettes, smoky, smoky, we drove to the nearest McDonald's we could fucking find. Yeah. You know, I knew better. Neither one of us had eaten anything, really, for days. I knew my stomach probably would have shrunk. Fuck. Once again, we fucked up and ordered far more food and, yeah, than our poor little shrunk stomachs can handle. It's like the pizza at the hotel back on Seal Beach. I hardly got through one quarter pounder. Most of the food between us went to waste. 
that still pisses me off, the thought of that food going to waste. Needless to say, I was gracious for everything Barrett had done for me. You know, he didn't have to. He just invited me up to stay at Hacienda Heights, but he wasn't fully aware of the backstory. He knew me as Brett White. He knew me as a fellow actor, an extra in movies. He didn't really know anything about me. We just hung out and we were friends. I gave Barrick $200. That allowed me a little over $800 left. But even I realized at the time, once it was gone, I'd be right back in the shitter. Yeah. Bear's folks were coming back in just a couple of days, and I had to do something. So I did what felt right at the time. I decided I was going to go home to see my son and my mom. The day before Barrick's parents returned from Europe, Barrick drove me to the Greyhound bus station in downtown L.A. I purchased an open-ended round-trip ticket to Tulsa. I wanted the ticket to be open-ended because I really didn't know how long I'd be back home. If things went bad, I wanted to be able to, you know, I just wanted to be able to return quick if I had to. Things went bad. I just wanted to be able to duck out. You never know when detectives are looking for you. Bear hung out with me in the uh, terminal there for a little bit. And right before the bus took off, I gave Barrett my mom's phone number, just in case he had to get a hold of me. We said our goodbyes, and well, he left for Beatrice's apartment. <laughs> Damn straight. He had the money to do it now. I'd managed to claim the back seat on the bus and was sitting all by myself when she made her way up the steps. I watched her scan the rows of passengers looking for a place to sit. Oh, deep down, I prayed she'd see me. I met a girl named Ann, Ann Reagan. She was a slender, attractive, little punk rock girl, kind of like Jessica. She had long brown hair and hazel eyes. Well, I say they're hazel. They look kind of hazel in the picture I still have. (laughs) We're a cute little derby with a little bandana tied around the brim of it, you know? For a moment, she began a brief exchange with a woman half dozen rows up when our eyes met. To my joy, she glanced to the side and saw that the seat was empty next to me. She immediately ended the exchange she was having with the lady and made her way to where I was sitting. Yes. Hey, I politely said, moving closer to the window. Got plenty of room back here. Thanks, she replied, tossing her bags under the seat, then making room for herself. She had almost the exact same fucking ensemble I swear Jessica wore every Saturday night. Black leotards emerged from the bottom of her zebra-striped skirts, covering her legs all the way down to a black pair of boots. <laughs> it was the same wardrobe all the little punk rock girls had back then, only Anton's the only one I can remember wearing the derby. Yeah. She's also extremely noisy. Yeah. Lots of clangy jewelry and bracelets and necklaces and earrings and shit. She was a walking party favor. Absolute. Cute. Cute, if you could work around the um, lawn ornaments. (laughs) Cute, but loud. She told me she was from Pennsylvania and was on her way back home to see her family, as was I. We talked a lot. It was nice having a traveling friend. During the course of the uh, journey, we made out a little bit. It was nice. 
finally curled up together on the long back seat and kind of nodded off, but you don't really nod off on the back of one of them fucking buses. We were somewhere around Phoenix. Two of us woke up, got off the bus, stretched our legs during a 30-minute layover. We didn't eat much, but we got some coffee, and then we spotted one of those little photo booths right there in the middle of the bus station, so we jumped in. (laughs) We looked like shit. (laughs) We were both pretty haggard from the overnight trip, but it didn't make any difference. This is our little way of documenting the experience. I ripped the four photos at the scene, giving her two and keeping a couple for myself. To this day, I still have one of them. I don't have much more to say about Anne other than that she was a really attractive, intelligent young woman with aspirations like we all did back then. And, um, you know, I hope her life turned out good. She was a good kisser and a great traveling buddy. Bus rolled into Tulsa about 5 a.m., rolled out about 5.30, and I saw Anne waving at me. I could see her silhouette anyway in the window as she uh, made her way to our goddamn bench seat. Mom picked me up about 20 minutes after Ann's bus rolled out. I was happy to see Mom. She had recently moved to another town about 26 miles north of Tulsa, Bartersville. Yeah, this is the town I was born in, Bartersville, Oklahoma. After everything I'd seen in L.A., being back in Oklahoma was strange. It just really looked small and insignificant to me sun wasn't up yet still and we drove by old Shane's games and there's Red Apple Bowling Center and everything I'd grown up around just looked really tiny so the next week I got to spend a little time with my son and I uh, stayed there with my mom in her townhouse up in Bartersville hardest part about that of course was sleeping at night so fucking quiet. This is true. I'd lived next to that San Diego fucking freeway for way too long. Yeah. I was so conditioned to the rumble of traffic and choppers and sirens and screams and guns and shit. The tranquil nights drove me fucking nuts. I had no idea what I was going to do when I got back out to California. Not a clue. I'd left my car and the majority of my belongings in L.A., yeah. You know, unless Barrick showed up at the bus station upon my return, I didn't even have a way to get back out there to Hacienda Heights. Susan Strasberg? Oh, fuck that. I hadn't been to any of her classes in months. Yeah, it had been like five months. I hadn't gone. We were having classes at little second-floor studios and shit in Hollywood. You know, she was so sweet all the time. You know, she'd take us out to dinner afterwards and always Italian. And she knew I didn't have any money and she'd bitch at me because I'd eat my food so fucking fast. And she'd go, Brett, please, that food is expensive. Would you at least taste it before you swallow it? I'm sorry, Susan. I'd always apologize. I I was fucking hungry. (laughs) She'd always roll around the food in your mouth to savor the ingredients. And, you know, 
Hey, when you're fucking starving, uh, it could have been cat shit. It sucked that I'd come out there to meet her and study under her, and it only lasted a few months before, eh, drugs got in the way. And though I was past that shit now, if I made it back out to L.A., I don't even know how I'd support myself, let alone get back into Susan's class. I didn't have a legal residence, but I was going to go anyway. Do or fucking die. That's right. I really don't know what I was thinking. So fucking in need of divorcing my past, I was just trying to break and run like a fucking pussy. Back in Oklahoma, you know, I at least had family and a place to call home. Out there, I was alone. Regardless, I planned on returning, and I couldn't even... And I couldn't even tell you why. Story really started to take off, I guess, at 2.30 in the morning. We got a phone call at Mom's. Once again, I'd like to put emphasis on the fact that it was 2.30 a.m. when the phone rang at my mom's house during my short visit back to Oklahoma. I didn't hear the phone ring. I was in the downstairs guest bedroom. Yeah, Mom didn't have an upstairs phone, just the one in the kitchen. That's it. And it was a loud fucker, too. Didn't wake me up, but it woke her up. So I didn't hear the phone, but I heard the door crash when Mom came busting in at 2.30 to wake my ass up. Stan! She bellowed. I come off that bed pretty damn quick. There's some crazy bitch on the phone bawling for you! What? I mumbled, still half asleep. Damn it, Stan! I gotta be at work in four fucking hours! She barked at me while stepping back into the living room with me in tow. I barely remember walking. Who is it? I asked. Mom spun around facing me. Some crazy foreign bitch. She yelled, Some crazy foreign bitch. Some crazy foreign bitch, she said as she walked back upstairs. I can't even fucking understand her. The door slammed. Hey, Mom, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I just spent the night with a girl named Katrina on the west side and a guy shot, put a bullet about four inches from my head in a downstairs apartment. I went upstairs and disarmed his dumb ass and... Shit just follows you, you know? What, is she speaking in a foreign voice calling my mom's house? There's no way they'd violate protocol by calling mom's house this time of fucking night. No way. I cross the living room to pick up the phone. I can order The crying and the wailing coming through the receiver on the phone was... Yeah, pretty fucking obnoxious. It was pretty loud. It carried. I was at a total fucking loss. I didn't know what the hell was on the line waiting for me. 
Mom said they had referred to me as Brett. That certainly narrows it down. Was it my agent? Hello? Brett, baby. The voice drowned out the other end. Is that you? Flinched, pulling the earpiece away from my head, looking into it as, as though I could see inside. It, it took a few seconds. Brit, without knowing, I, 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 I spoke into the receiver. Yeah, yeah, uh, Beatrice. Yes, baby, it's me. She sniffled. It was Barrick's girlfriend, Beatrice. What the fuck was she doing calling me? Barrick's girlfriend, Beatrice. Yes, baby, help me, please. Oh my God! Yeah, Beatrice, what's wrong? What's wrong? I pleaded into the receiver with a little more urgency. They're going to take me out the country. What? I said, trying to get her to calm down. They're going to take me out. I'm standing there in my underwear at my mom's bar at what the fuck in the morning. And who the hell is going to kick you out, I asked? People who do my visa, they what won't What the fuck was going visa. on? The next word she spoke made absolutely no sense. It was jargled up. I, I don't even want to paraphrase. Why was Barrick's girlfriend calling me about her goddamn immigration status? I was aghast, yeah. I rested my elbow on the crossed arm that I had setting up on the kitchen bar and pressed the phone closer to my ear so I could muffle that fucking wailing voice and, Beatrice, please, tell me what the fuck is going on, I whispered forcefully. Upon hearing my voice, she started wailing again. Oh, sentence fragments mixed with the crying. The accent just made it impossible to understand what the fuck she was saying. At first, I was afraid something bad had happened to Barrick. But that wasn't the case at all. Her visa had expired, and I guess they were getting ready to kick her out of the country. I hardly gave two shits. I was just still trying to put my head around why I was getting the fucking phone call. What could I possibly do about her goddamn immigration status? That's what I thought. Then, Beatrice, my best friend at the time, Barrick's girlfriend, proposed to me. The beautiful, six-foot-tall Danish goddess, Beatrice. Brigitte Nielsen's twin sister asked me to marry her so she could stay in the country. I had just left a really shitty disaster of a marriage that was still currently falling apart. Beeb, I can't get married. I don't want to get married. I pay you, baby. I pay you. Beeb pleaded over the phone. I got my attention. What do you mean? I pay for everything, baby. I pay for everything. You come back out. You marry me. You stay here. You live with me. And I pay everything. It was 3.15 in the morning. I was wide awake. Now I know how she got the number. Barrick gave her the number. My friend Barrick gave his girlfriend the number when she asked him to marry her 
and he obviously turned her down. So playing hot potato, knowing that I needed a place to go. That's right. Those are the fucking friendships that last a lifetime. I was to be free of any expenses, including rent, water, gas, phone, grocery costs. Furthermore, I was to reside with her in that beautiful apartment, Alta Vista Apartments in West Hollywood, California. I was fucking pumped. That was going to get me back into Susan's class, just like it was going to free me up. And if the deal wasn't sweet enough, she even promised to purchase me a new motorcycle after I returned to the city. Yeah, I agreed to get married. The only problem was I wasn't attracted to Beatrice, and I don't know why. It'd be somewhat formidable tied up in a marriage with somebody I wasn't attracted to. I mean, as unstable as my life was at that point, I hardly needed to complicate it even more with an arranged marriage, but physically, B was fucking flawless. She was tall, slender, like I say, super athletic, Studied Taekwondo, she jogged, she swam, hit the gym on a daily basis. I can't explain why a 19-year-old wouldn't want to be all over that. So the very next morning, yeah, open-ended ticket, I was on a bus back to L.A. I caught a Greyhound bus on the way back out to L.A., yeah. The route we took was almost identical to the route that took me to Oklahoma. (laughs) Sucked ass. I'm too fucking sentimental for my own good. Almost every fucking stops were at the same Stuckies, the same love, same truck stops and shit I'd visited the week prior with Ann. We didn't make it down to Phoenix, but in every truck stop anywhere we had set and shared a soda, or I actually bought a beer or something for us to consume out back. All those stops only reminded me how much I really liked Ann. She was a sweet gal. A little derby-wearing girl. No doubt she had made it to Pennsylvania. I I wondered if she was still there or had already gone back out to the West Coast. Every fucking stop we had made, it seems like. (laughs) Two and a half days later, 11.30 at night, when the bus trip ended in downtown Los Angeles, once again at the old bus station. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I do remember the... Bus parked in the space of a multi-level parking garage-like structure. I think it stopped on a second or third floor. I was so fucking tired, I can't remember. Bus driver popped the air brakes on the bus, opened the door, lights come on. People started getting up. God. Legs and ass are just fucking jello from those long hauls. I think earlier in the day we'd been out by Flagstaff or somewhere, and I'd called B back in West Hollywood. I'd called her collect and gave her the uh, ETA of my bus arrival. I wasn't even sure she'd be there waiting when I stepped down from the coach because I'd left it on an answering machine. But crossing my fingers that Jenny or James would give her the message. Driver opened the compartments along the bottom of the bus and started slinging luggage. Saw my big old red baseball bag sitting amongst some of the luggage in one of the compartments and grabbed it. Stepped to the station's second floor, some of the other passengers. I stepped out at the top of a big escalator with some of the guys I had accompanied on that long-ass bus trip. Almost immediately, B made herself known at the bottom of the escalator. Yeah, she was there all right. Holy shit. Wow, was she there. 
skin tight, red dress, hugging that 23-year-old body of hers, short blonde hair done back, beautiful, earrings diamond studded in and had a big fucking American flag on a pole, swinging it back and forth over her head, side to side, huge arching swings, loudly singing the star-spangled banner. Going on midnight, downtown L.A. bus station, homeless people watching my fiancé sing terribly the national anthem. Half of them were vets. All the guys in the goddamn escalator immediately looked at me. Is that your woman, man? I couldn't bring myself to smile. I just want to be to stop. Yeah, I sheepishly admitted. She's my um, fiance. Whoo, you got a handful there, one of the guys in front of me said. Loudly, B continued to sing while feverishly swinging that flag, rocking back and forth. And rock and rock, she screamed off key. Escalators spit me and the other folks out on the main floor of the station. People in front of me scattered in different directions. B, the flagpole still in both hands, ran up between them, crashing into me with full embrace. Oh, baby, I'm so glad you're here. Hi, hon, I mumbled. <laughs> Flag draped over the side of my head and my face as she hugged and kissed me. I could hear fellow passengers giggling as they walked by. B pulled back, looking at me enthusiastically. You get baggage, baby? Yeah, I smiled, holding up my bag right here. Damn, B looked really good. The dress she was wearing didn't leave much to the imagination either. My God, she had a body. She had the legs to back it up. Let's go, baby, she laughed as she took me by the hand and led me towards the parking lot. There's a little red Toyota parked right out there in the front. We loaded my bag into the trunk of her little red car flagpole had to go in the back seat it was so fucking long you know the end of it had to protrude from a partially rolled down rear window unexpectedly after closing the rear door veep spun around grabbed me with both hands inside of my face and kissed me deeply it was so abrupt and unexpected i didn't get a chance to enjoy it but hey thanks Took me back some because I, I thought we were supposed to be platonic, but I was just fucking tired from the bus ride. I'm not going to complain. Like I say, I was exhausted. Anyway, after the kiss, we got in the car and we drove off. I'd expected we'd go to, you know, back home to West Hollywood and I could finally get a shower and get some fucking sleep. But during the journey, B spoke for the both of us. So much shit was spewing from her mouth it was hard to digest what the hell she was saying. Fuck it. Uh, uh, I wasn't really listening anyway. I mean, her words just kept bouncing on my head like ping pong balls. Sometimes in the middle of her banter, I'd just pick up on the barrage of thank yous. and You know, she kept stressing that over and over again. That was fine. I just, I really just wanted a hot shower and a good night's sleep in bed. During the drive, I noticed... We were going through downtown L.A. I don't understand how come she wasn't hopping up on the fucking freeway. Where are we going? 
I said, rubbing my eyes. Oh, we go to see Rosemary, baby, she informed me. Rosemary, my boss. Okay, I acknowledged. I didn't really give two shits about socializing with anyone at that point, but who was I to complain? I was getting a free ride out here, man. I don't want to fuck up my newfound existence. Still, I just had to ask, because it was going on midnight. This late? B hung a right, one of the streets heading west. Yes, baby, she know you coming. She want to meet you. Rosemary is the woman B told me she worked for. I was to believe Rosemary ran a catering company, and that B did work for her at the catering company, but she all did work on the side as a massage therapist. It was strange that we were going to see her boss that late. But who was I to question? This was Los Angeles. Besides, Barrick had already told me she was a massage therapist, so it wasn't a fucking surprise. Rosemary had a catering company, too? Fucking A. That meant she was loaded. And if B said she was a massage therapist, then that's what she was. I had a real bad habit of taking people at face value back then. B went on to say the other girls wanted to meet me too. Other girls, I thought. Gave a shit. For all I knew, they were sisters. I just, aside from it being late, I didn't find anything too unusual about it. Didn't give a fuck. We arrived at Rosemary's. Her building, I think it was on the northwest side of downtown L.A. I'm almost positive it was. I can't remember exactly where it was. I just remember it being a relatively nice fucking building. Could have been the Derby. I just can't remember. B parked the cart curbside next to the 10 or 12-story building. I can be wrong about how many floors there were. It seemed like there were that many, but I really can't remember. Let me just say there were more than seven, but fewer than 20. (laughs) For the most part, the building, it was nice, but there was nothing extraordinary about it. That's how it appeared from the street, anyway. We walked up to the front entrance, the glass doors. To the best of my recollection, we were allowed in the front door by security, and we signed in to the building. That's all I can really remember about it. I I didn't sign in. B signed in. After signing in, security guard walked us over to the elevator and keyed us up to the top floor. To me, that was impressive. We were going to the top floor. I'd never been in the top floor in one of these places before. Strangely enough, B and I didn't even speak on the elevator. I was too fucking tired. I just watched the lights on the buttons of the floor. Bing, 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 bing. Doors opened up. We stepped off into a small hallway. There's only like two or three doors and a uh, trash chute. One door led to a residence of folks I'd never see. Second led to a stairwell. And the other door belonged to Rosemary. Credulously, I thought, wow, catering service paid for all this? After knocking a petite brunette wearing glasses opened up. Damn, she was a 20-something-year-old, but woman. Well, hello, she greeted in a thick English accent while hugging B. I take it this is the man? Vive looked proudly over her shoulder at me, the big smile on her face. 
before I could even answer, I could hear the phone ring inside, and for the first time, I heard Rosemary's voice. Classic touch. Touch of class. It's going to wrap it up for Bombing Down Poinsettia this week. Make sure you join me next week, 8 p.m., for Chapter 8, Poinsettia. Stay at the Joke Man Show. will be back on Friday, high noon. Until then, bye, Candios, me amigos. We are, we are.